Well, what I want to do this morning is um, I want to interview one of our amazing pastors. Don't we have amazing pastors and assistant pastors here at Revive? Why don't you just thank them all for all their hard work? It is just a, a smaller church does tend to revolve around a pastoral couple. If anybody's noticed, Vicky and I are not that. Uh, um, uh, but as, as a church grows, you need loads of people with a pastoral gift. And I really appreciate all of our pastors. They do an incredible job. There's no way we could look after the, I don't know, 600 and something members across the region. And that, so that's why we use teams of pastors. And I want to interview one of our amazing pastors this morning. And uh, we'll see where we go with that. Is that all right? And then we might. Uh, oh, yeah, Revival Nation need to go out. 11 to 14. So that's a younger end of it. Go, go for it then. Go, yeah. Yeah. Wow, wow, wow. Are you going out with them, Matt? Okay, great. Rachel's with them. That's going to be awesome. All 11 to 14-year-olds. Look at this. Half the room vacates, which is a really good sign, actually. I like that. Have fun. Have lots of fun. Have fun. Have fun. Have fun. Have fun. Come on, aren't they gorgeous? Love it. Bless you, Rachel. Thank you, Rachel. We love Darren and Rachel as well, don't we? Awesome. We've got so many amazing people. So, I'm going to interview Remy this morning. Come on, Remy. Come on down here. We love you. You take a seat there, because then that's the right way around. It means I'm Jimmy Fallon and not Jonathan Ross, and I insist on being that. Can we get uh, Remy a bottle of water? Just oh, you've got one. He's got one. Fantastic. Wow, oh, I've picked up the wrong thing. I'm not being very organized. Let's pick up that there. Wow, wow, wow. So, contestant number one, where do you... No, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. I can't put my glasses on. Remy, we love you and your wonderful family. You are... Oh, that's it, you need Thank a microphone you. too. So, let, let's start out. I know there's some really interesting stuff in your story and I know we could sit here for two hours this morning that's correct and look at them they don't want to but um so we're, we're we're trying to zoom in on some real nuggets of your story and then there's other forums where they can come and hear it so to begin by telling us a little bit about your the faith adventure of your life a little bit of the early stuff and I know you went to South Africa and things like that and then we'll get on to the there's a really meaty bit in the middle but get set set the story up for us in um, 1996, Annette and I um, went down to Johannesburg. And the story is that I'm a doctor and I was working in a mission hospital. And there was a need to go get some training in pediatrics. Uh, we saved money for about five years. And uh, at the end of the five years, 1996, we had enough money to pay for the airfare, to move into Johannesburg, and settle in for about a couple of months. Uh, we, didn't know, we didn't have any bursary. Um, we didn't know where the rest of the money is gonna come from. Uh, we prayed, and there was the, we had such a peace that we trusted the Lord. Uh, our top verse in the Bible, Annette and I, is Romans 10, 11. Those who put the trust in the Lord will not be disappointed. Come on, love okay. it. Other partners, some said they won't be shaken. We just sung about shake. So, yeah, that's a faith adventure. Uh, husband and wife, two small kids, a, a four-year-old and an eight-month-old uh, around that age, and uh, packed. I traveled first. A month later, she followed me, and we had just enough money to, to settle for a couple of months yeah. and uh, trusting in the Lord. So that's the beginning, and um, it's about grace. We, we're just ordinary Christians like everybody, uh, but we had that grace to trust the Lord to such extent that wow. we didn't fret. Even when the bank account, we could see the money going down, 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 we didn't 
mourn. We didn't accuse the Lord. Why did you bring us here? We just, Lord, so we know you're going to do something. So life continues, uh, continued. And, uh, and one day out of the blue, after about four months or so, I was working, uh, moved from the big hospital, which is Baragonath Hospital, opposite Soweto, in Soweto, into Johannesburg General Hospital at the time. Names have changed now. And I got a phone call. I'm in an emergency department. And they said, this, this, this is a phone call from you from Switzerland. So, all right. Wow. So I answered the phone. Here is the head of the missionary evangelical services in Switzerland who's calling me. They were linked with the mission hospital in northeastern Congo. Uh, Remy, we think you may be running out of money and we'd like to send you some money. Do you want some money? <laughs> did you have to pray about that or did you just say yes? <laughs> just a massive yes. Yes, please. Um, and that was a, one of the first things that the Lord confirmed that you trust me I'm moving your life. Come on. Mm -hmm. I love that. Yeah. Okay, so then you return to the Congo, mm -hmm. and you're in a mission hospital, yeah. and probably one of the greatest parts of the adventure, about eight months in, something happened. Tell us about that part of the story. Yes, to go back to Congo, by then, 1906, when we left, the war broke into Congo, and it became unstable. Even going back, we had to go back by faith, because everybody in church, in hospital, friends, they told us, don't go back. Every time we heard that, our heart raced. But whenever we said we're going to go back, we had peace. So we knew we, we could trust the Lord even in that dangerous move. So we took, by then we had three children, back to the Northeastern Congo Mission in 2002, January. And the atmosphere was not good. One day, actually, Annette asked me, my wife asked me, how are we going to get out of this place? It, 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 it doesn't seem to be the same again. Uh, although it's a mission hospital, um, I told her, look, if God wants us to get out of this place, he will do it. Yeah. We just serve him. We just continue. You do your ministry. She was involved in helping young girls. I was in the hospital setting up a pediatric team. So um, eight months in September 2002. And the hospital was attacked by both rebel, a rebel group and a militiaman. Uh, very horrible situation. Well, within an hour, about 1,000 people were killed. The hospital was looted. At some point, we had um, armed men, armed rebels, uh, or drugged. Uh, they have leaves around the head telling us that they've, they've, they've been using witchcraft, uh, occult stuff. They were in our living room. Uh, pointing the AK-47 at us, threatening us. Um, I had my head and my hands lifted up saying, I'm a doctor, I've got my family and uh, a worker with me. We, we don't have any weapons here. Um, praying, we were praying before we, they came in, they broke into our house. And the Lord protected us in an amazing way. So we were not harmed at all. Um, I don't know if I can continue later on. Um, the next day, miraculously, uh, we managed to get the missionary aviation airplanes to come, MAF, for those who may know. Uh, it was an amazing story because there were rebel soldiers in front of the radio room, and someone needed to go into the radio room to ring the, rebel, uh, the, the, uh, the, the mission pilots, missionary pilots to come, whose wife and two children were stuck as well. So. I volunteered to go to do it, and the Lord gave me that boldness, so I sneaked into the radio room and called, and they were waiting. They'd been waiting for someone to call. I said, this is the hospital, and this, we're coming in 10 minutes. The trouble is, I had to tell the rebel and the militiamen, the, 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 the leaders, that an aeroplane is coming. So I, had to, I met both of them, told them a plane is coming, and they said, okay, we want to be there. So eventually, I went back to the radio, told them, come. Then I went back to tell them, yes, in 10 minutes. <laughs> uh, eventually, Annette was evacuated to Kenya. Now, uh, what I discovered later, the Lord blinded me and blinded both the rebel leader and the militia man leader, both of them and me. Because if I, I knew what I was doing, I wouldn't have done it. You cannot go in a war situation and tell the rebels that, and I've been communicating with the opposition. So that's what I did. I told them I've been a traitor, basically. I've been communicating, and there is only one penalty for that, death. So the Lord blinded me, 
so that I couldn't think of what I was doing yeah. and blinding them, they didn't understand the full extent of what I was telling them. So the plane came and my family was evacuated in Nairobi. But your family were evacuated, but you weren't. And really, yeah. there's quite some remarkable story to this. What happened when you stayed behind with about 750 others who yes. were still captive? Mm -hmm. So for about a week, we were stuck. Um, all shops were looted. All homes were looted except ours. Wow. So food was scarce. There were some patients in hospital who had no food. Uh, actually, before Annette left, she made some donut and uh, porridge that was sending to hospital to feed those who stay overnight in hospital without any food. So um, it became clear after a couple of days that we had to evacuate. Otherwise, we will perish. So I went to see the, uh, the head of the rebels. I told them, we need to go. I'm going to take my hospital staff out of this place. Um, by then, it was clear that I, I was the leader. Uh, and, bec <laughs> <laughs> and because I was an outsider, I've not lived from 1996 to 2002, have not lived there, so I didn't experience all the atrocities. So I was naive, but there was, a, I think it was a boldness from the Holy Spirit. I could face them without fear. Um, uh, so I went to see this guy, I told him, look, we're gonna live, we can't stay here. He told me, don't, calm down, I'm gonna get some more soldiers to secure the hospital. A day later, they were looting, People were being threatened at gunpoint. They were still killing murders in the hospital. A lady was pulled out of the maternity ward and just shot dead in front of the maternity ward, left a newborn baby. And there were lots of similar stories, using machetes uh, to cut people. Uh, sorry, it's a bit graphic. Um, so I told him the second time, look, we cannot stay here. He told me, if you try to go, there is a, a, a huge forest, the rainforest, you will die. And the second day I told him, look, it's better for us to try, even if the majority die, one or two may survive and we tell the story, what happened to us. So that's how I, um, I managed to, to convince them. And um, uh, he eventually gave us a, a letter to say, you can go. So we walked for about a week through the rainforest, stopped a bit twice, and all the way, about 100 miles south to another sister hospital uh, where we were uh, welcomed. Uh, in the middle there, I, I, for, for the first time, I almost lost my temper and I shouted at the rebel soldiers who were drunk, armed. Again, the Lord was faithful. Just <laughs> <laughs> you, don't do, you don't do the things because they can shoot you dead and yes. dump your body in the bush. There's no court case, there's nothing. But the Lord was so gracious and protected me and we all arrived at destination. Now, as a doctor, I told my colleague doctors, 100 miles through the rainforest without clean water, without source of food, three quarter being women and children, some of them pregnant, uh, we have to be prepared to bury one or two along the way. But every morning we prayed, we had a gathering, we had our chaplain, we pray for the day, for the trip. All of us arrived at destination. Wow. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Mm. Yeah. Plus the addition of four newborn babies. <laughs> Born in the forest where you deliver a baby, you cannot rest, stand up, pack, let's walk. So the Lord is great. <laughs> I don't know what to say next, good heavens. <laughs> That last bit got me. Wow. God looked up and everybody made it through. That's just incredible. Amen. Yes, yes, thank yes. God. Come on, thank God. Yes, That's God. amazing. Yes, yes, yes. Truly. And now, Remy, you're involved with Open Doors, which deals with the persecuted church around the world. Tell us how you got involved with them. Long story, but I'm going to shorten it. <laughs> As a teenager, um, I liked reading a lot. My sister worked for script, with Scripture Unions um, back in Congo. And I read two books that impacted on me. Uh, one of them is called The Silent Church by a guy called Richard uh, Wurmbrand. Mm. Okay. In, a Romanian priest was a reverend 
pastor was imprisoned because he had the gut to stand against communism and saying that this is not right. Our faith ca cannot match, uh, work with this. Uh, he was in prison seven times and he wrote the story about the tortured church for Christ. And that impacted me as a young, mid-teenager so that to know that Christians were being persecuted just because they were Christian, they stood for the truth. Then I read a second book called Forgive Me Natasha by a, a former KGB officer, Sergei Kudakov who defected to the West and wrote the book. And the short story is that he was raiding House of, House of Prayers uh, in Russia, and he found Natasha, who used to be one of the KGB youth leaders. And the first time he told her, get out of this place. I, want, I don't want you to believe this and to come back here. The next time he raided another place, Natasha was there. He kind of slapped her on the face like, get out. The third time he found Natasha in another meeting, he put a lie, laid her on a table and beat her with a, his bare hand. This is a KGB officer, so very tough. He beat her until Natasha's skin started peeling off, attaching to his hand, and Natasha was bleeding. So he tortured her, and Natasha was arrested. So when he got to America, Canada and America, he wrote this book, Forgive Me, Natasha. And that book impacted me. Um, fast forward, in South Africa, in church, a friend of ours uh, spoke about open doors and about the persecuted church. So we get connected, receive some material. And when we moved to the UK in 2005, a uh, couple of, uh, or a year or two or later, I got connected with Open Doors UK. I started receiving the material here. And in 2015, there was a strong desire to do more. Um, because I, I, the stories of persecuted Christians were so horrendous, yet they stood in the storm. And some, I said, there is something here. I need to be part of this. I need to support my, 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 my fellow Christians. And it dawned to me through the, the revelation of the Holy Spirit that this is my family. Yeah. We always think that the persecuted church are some North Korean out there, some uh, Iranian, some countries in Asia or North Africa. It's miles away. Physically, yes, but that's the body of Christ. On. There is one body of Christ. Part of it is here, sitting yeah. here in relative freedom. Part of it is being persecuted in an horrendous manner. 245 million Christians today are undergoing extreme persecution on a daily basis. They are denied basics of life basic amenities, they chase that way, they ostracize in the society. So once that starts dawning into me, getting into me, I decided to do something about it. Um, so uh, I prayed, and out of the blue, I, I spoke to uh, Rupa here, is Rupa here? Yes, over there. So Rupa was an open door speaker, okay? Because open doors in the, uh, throughout the world, wants the churches, all congregations, to be aware of the persecuted, their persecuted family. So, and there are loads of speakers around the country. They go to churches to raise awareness. So Rupa was one of the uh, speakers in this region. And when in 2015 they were planning to, to go on a mission, um, because she knew I was, my heart was, was with the persecuted church. So she asked me, would you want to take over from me? And I said, yes. Uh, so in January 2016, I became an open door, uh, open doors uh, volunteer speaker, uh, just to go to churches to tell other people, uh, other Christians that look, you're sitting here, there are your brothers and sisters that are being persecuted throughout the world. Please get involved. Um, and one thing, if you ask the persecuted people, what do we want us to do? You may think they will tell you send off money. That's not the top priority. They will tell you, pray with us. Yeah. Yeah. Pray. And then you will think, oh, I can pray for you. They said, no, don't pray for us. Pray with us. There's a yeah. big difference. So if I pray for you, I can say, God bless uh, Jared. God, give him this, give, do that. And, but if I to pray with you, I need to know what is in your heart. Yeah. What does God want? And they will tell you, pray that we will endure Yes. persecution that will stand strong in this storm yeah. 
that's amazing. Um, so so that, that's the, 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 the longing. Pray for us. And prayer is moving mountains. Yeah. I, I, I have to tell you, there are stories after stories of how, what God is doing uh, in the persecution. Prayer. Where you and I can't go, where there's a, a wall of communism, of uh, religious barrier, our prayer will penetrate that get into that nation, into the church. So, so how can we get involved in this prayer and other things with you then? How can we connect with open doors and the prayers and everything else? Yeah. Before I tell you that, I want to ask you a question or give you a homework. <laughs> can you think of what was the bravest thing, the riskier and bravest thing that you did at age 15? Everybody, can you think? Okay, so if, have you found something that you did at age 15? Some, uh, Matt is nodding, yeah? Some of you thought 15, nothing. Just teenage years. <laughs> now, is it a long time ago for some? I don't know. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah maybe too long to remember. <laughs> now, there is a young lady called Leah Sharibu, taken from the school in northern Nigeria. She was 15 at the time persecuted by Boko Haram. Some of those who were taken hostage with her were released because they denied the faith. And she, at 15, said, I will not deny Jesus. No matter what you do to me, I'm not going to deny Jesus. She has stood for a faith. And because she understands the principle, and Paul says in Romans 18, 8, 18 and uh, 2 Corinthians 4 uh, 17. The momentary, momentary uh, suffering are not worth to be compared with the glory. So every Christian who's undergoing persecution have grasped that, that this is momentary, there's glory coming. Come on. Uh, there, yeah, and the other thing that we need to remember, um, if I may just mention it yeah. before I tell you what I'm expecting, I, I want you to do. Um, the book of Revelation. Do we like it? Yeah. It's a great book, isn't it? Fantastic. God tells the end from the beginning. So if you read, wow, things that are going to come. That book was revealed to John while he was exiled on the island because of preaching the good news. Yeah. Revelations 1.9. He was there because of the good news of Jesus the good news of the kingdom. He was exiled, persecuted. So it was a persecuting yeah. Christian whom God, in the middle of the persecution, revealed revelation. Okay? So just remember that. Now, what can we do? 1 Corinthians 12, 26. When a member suffers, every other part, every other member suffer with it. So prayer, as I said, is what I would like us to engage with. Since 2016, nearly three years now, there have been a prayer meeting once a month for the persecuted church. Leslie Edward is not here. We meet at, our, at, at uh, her place and Monday, or the first Monday of every month. The next two months are a bit complicated. We may do it at a different time. Come and see me at the, I've got a, a stall there uh, if you want to get involved. Uh, there's, a, there's been a prayer meeting here. If you have not known about it, maybe you've seen some things on the uh, e-news about prayer meetings. That prayer is for you, for your persecuted family. Please join us when you can, if you can, wherever you can, however many times you can. Join us. Let's pray for the persecuted church. Uh, it's crucial, crucial that as many Christians possible are praying for the persecuted church. So prayer is number one. We want to pray with them, not for them, but with them, according to the will of God for the persecuted church. Now, the last thing, I want to pull a trick on you. <laughs> Ta-da! <laughs> this is a persecuted church devotional, 365 days. It tells you stories every day. It is in a format, the first page is a Psalm 23 in Korean. And uh, it costs 10 pounds from open doors. The, the fact that I'm holding it like this means that a Christian in North Korea has got a Bible smuggled into their hands 
from up by open door through partners uh, because of this. So if you buy it, I don't have enough. I don't. I, I, I've got this is the last copy, but I can order it if you want for you. Ten pounds. It puts a Bible into the hands of a persecuted Christian, and it is small enough to be concealed. So I was sitting here. None of you had noticed that I had a New Testament. That's the format uh, uh, concealed in my sock. So please. Consider also giving if you want to, but that's not the priority. I've got plenty of material there. Uh, the world watch list is there. Pick a copy. It tells you about the top 50 countries where persecution is the most horrendous and what to pray for. What's in your other sock? <laughs> <laughs> Remy, that was fantastic. Thank, thank you. you. We love you. So good. Thank you. Thank Bless you. you. I'll take that, give that to Darren. We love you and your family. Fantastic, thank you, bless you. So Remy will be at an open door stand when we finish the service in about 20 minutes or so. Um, let me just read you a few things. Isn't it amazing what some people go through? A anybody here had a bad week? Uh, perspective, anybody? Yeah, the kids getting on your nerves this week. All the mums with young kids who didn't get a lie-in because they're so young, they don't know what the clock's changing is. Anybody kids like that this morning? And then, listen, listen to these, uh, these verses. Uh, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Anybody got a fridge magnet of these ones, right? Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Wow. Blessed is the man that endures temptation. Hello. Blessed is the man that endures temptation. For when he's tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to them that love him. Hebrews 10 says this. So don't throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere. Just tell the person next to you, you need to persevere. Go on, go on, tell them. And then you can ask them back, who's Percy? I don't know what you're talking about. Anyway. You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. Galatians 6, 9, and let us not be weary in well-doing. That's what I just felt. That if Remy hadn't talked at all, I'd have just talked on this. And I'm going to do it for 10 minutes or so. Let us not be weary in well-doing. For in due season we shall reap if we faint not. Um, there's been a lot of talk about grace today. But grace isn't something that's automatic. Grace, the grace of God, is something that we access in life. Um, getting a vision, a dream, a hope is one thing. Having resilience, uh, living stable, anybody work with me? Stability is another thing. Consistency, uh, perseverance is another thing. Um, and I'm going to play you a song uh, just Five minutes and then I'm going to talk for 10 minutes and then we're done this morning. Is that okay? And we'll pray for everybody uh, as we close. Um, but I want to just play this song to you and it's called Finish Strong. God wants you and I to be strong. My point this morning is this though, and I want us to, to grasp it. And I'm not belittling for one moment our difficulties. But there are many times in life where strength is a choice. We, we choose. I know there are crises and I'm, you know, there, are, there are very de delicate and difficult situations, but let's be honest, just in the normal sphere of life, instability comes that as we grow in God, we should overcome. And so God help us to be strong. Let me play you this song. We've got a video. You might see the words come up a little bit, a little bit smaller than I imagine. So, so only the first three rows might see them or anybody with binoculars at the back or something like that. But so if you can't see the words, listen to the words of this song. God wants you and I to finish strong. Then I'm going to come and inspire you for about 10 minutes and then we're done. Is that okay? Thanks, Sam. Play the, play the video. Your tears 
on the journey. Some who once ran strong, now gone. Where did they go? from David Hind, who's a pastor down in Leicester. God wants you to finish strong. Amen. He has the capacity to carry you, to put grace into you, to put his strength and his mercy and his power into you. Um, but there's a verse in Romans 12. If you've got a Bible, let, let's turn there. Um, just pop the little slide up, if you will. Not that this will come up, but it'll give you a picture that I'm going to use in a moment. Um, 
Romans 5 says this, therefore, since we have been justified, that means made right with God through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And verse 2 says, through whom we have gained access. Everybody say gained access. By faith, we've gained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. Say gained access by faith into grace. Grace is something that we have to access. It's not automatic. There is um, the ability for us to receive grace and help and power, but you and I have to activate that grace and enter into it. I remember once being on one of my early morning prayer walks, and it was when I was living on Kingswood, and I turned the corner, and two Rottweilers were running towards me without any owner in sight, and they were pretty uh, interesting-looking, angry things, and I was on my own. It was about six in the morning, and these two Rottweilers are hammering towards me, and I'm trying to look for tails wagging, and there weren't any. Uh, they had evil intent. In that moment, I made the right decision. It was fight or flight. I won't pretend that it was a thought-out decision, but I went nuts. I made myself as big as possible, and I began to shout all sorts of things to do with shut up, go away, and Jesus at them. Get out of here, get lost. Who do you think you are? And I went for it, and these two dogs turned around and ran off. <laughs> right decision. There are other things we could do with the dark dogs that attack our days. Uh, we can shrink from them or we can rise up and do something with them. You know, there's this wonderful phrase in Joel 3, I think it's verse 10, let the weak say, now that's got to be a choice because I am a weakling saying I'm strong. What's that all about? It's not saying that the weak is strong, saying someone who is weak is choosing to somehow say, I am strong. The context here is just before that, I believe it is, or maybe just afterwards, Joel is writing and he's saying, beat your plowshares into swords. Now, Isaiah does it the other way around. He talks about beating your swords back into plowshares. In other words, go from farming and peace to war. That's what Joel is saying. Don't sit around in peace when the enemy's attacking. Rise up. Rouse the warriors, it says elsewhere in that chapter. And then that's where you get this context. So now, let the weak say, I am strong. Anybody had a bad week? Anybody having a rough time? I feel as though there's a bit of a fierce spiritual battle going on for some right now. Here's my message. There is grace if we choose to access it. Let the weak say, I'm strong. A couple of weeks ago, I talked about a, a dream that I had, a, a, a vision of heaven, I suppose you could say. And in the dream, I'm stood on a balcony with Jesus, and he shows me this little leaf, and he says, this is your life. And then I, it suddenly went panoramic, and I see a vista as far as the eye can see, and Jesus in this dream says, and this is your eternal life. Now, I shared one version of what that might mean two weeks ago, but there's another version of what it means to me when I meditate on that dream. And I, I believe it's a dream from God. Uh, it's this, Jared, this is your life. Um, our lives are like the grass here today, gone tomorrow. We're, you know, our, our human life is quite weak. But Jared, there are your eternal resources. Now, eternal life doesn't start when you die, biblically. So it's not about a timeline. It's about another realm where greater resources are available to you. Ephesians 1 says you are seated in heaven. Ephesians 2 says you're seated in heavenly places. Ephesians 1 says at the beginning you have every spiritual resource you need in the heavenly places. There are resources available to you this morning, but we have to choose to access them. If you were saved, if you're given your life to Jesus, if you said, okay, Jesus, you died on the cross for my sins, I'm in, I believe it. Then the Bible says there are heavenly resources at your fingertips. Should you choose to access grace by faith? Access grace, the empowering presence of God, unmerited help by faith. What's faith? How I think about a circumstance, a situation, affects whether I stand in grace or not. So, so here's my point. Let's just do this for three or four minutes. Are you ready? We'll try and do it really quick. Inside every one of you born-again believers, there are two dynamics at work. Strong 
or weak. And every moment of every day, it's your choice. Work with me. See if you can identify this. Inside every one of you, there is a robust you. Come on. Now, some of you might go, well, I haven't seen that person in such a long time. Okay, you really need this message. He or she is in there. And no, I'm not talking about, you know, other people occupying your space. I mean, there's two versions of you in you. Heavenly you and then miserable you. Work with me. Inside you is powerful you and pitiful you. Anybody good at pity parties? Anybody had one this week? Thanks, mum. Only mum is joining in with me right now. The rest of them are all so holy. They don't need this. Every moment you get to choose robust you or weak you, powerful you or pitiful you. Think of this one, blaming you or responsible you. Do you know blame is an easy way to soothe ourselves for a moment, but it actually makes us powerless because what we're saying is they have control over my emotional state, my life and who I am. Blame is actually a powerless way to live. But when we choose responsible us and we say, no, 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 I'm going to stand up and I'm going to choose to access the resources of heaven and say, no, God, I'm not going to blame. I'm going to take responsibility and say, God, your grace is available to me for this circumstance and this situation. It draws something into our world. Listen to these. I've got a little list for you. Let's see what you're choosing and what I'm choosing. Every single moment we can choose focused us or distracted us? Which one are you choosing? There's a focused you. Uh, just, just this last week, I had to get into my study all alone and go, right, I need to get my why back. Anybody know what I mean? Yeah. Kind of we do stuff, but why do we do stuff? And I realized I'm, kind of, I'm not being very centered right now. I need to get my center back. I need to figure out what's going on. Where's my head? So I got alone. And I went, right, God, I need to get my why back. Why do I do what I do? And you know, incredible peace comes when we come back to, why do I do what I do? Why am I living the life I'm living? Why am I being dad in this family, husband in this family? Why am I being pastor in this church? Why am I doing the things I do? What's your why? Your why keeps you stable and strong robust you keeps you stable and strong but at any point you can choose pitiful you the only difference between a mature Christian and an immature one is the mature one keeps saying pitiful me no 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 quiet I'm going to choose robust me blaming me no 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 stop blaming the whole world for what's going on in your life because there's nothing you can do about that other than offloaded. No, I'm going to take responsibility for the bit that I can change with God's help. I take responsibility. I am going to forgive. I refuse to live in pity. I refuse to live in blame. I am going to live strong today. Do not give your internal atmosphere to external forces. No, keep it. Keep it in God and hold your peace. Strength is a choice. Focused you is a choice. Without vision, people cast off restraint. You and I become unrestrained, undisciplined. We lose the self-control of our emotional state and the vision and the passion of our lives when we lose that sense of, why do I do what I do? Some of us in this room need to get alone with God this week and go, why do I do what I do again? So it doesn't become a wild running into the wind. Huh, here's a good one energized you or tired you I'm tired have you got anybody in your family that says that all the time I'm tired really listen James says that your mouth is a rudder and leads you in the ways that you speak now granted we get tired anybody I remember saying this to once to the guy I worked with and you know he's a great man of God now oh Colin but I'm tired and he looked at me and said tired I've been tired for 25 years. What's that got to do with it? <laughs> what had he done? He'd, he'd accessed robust him. Come on, let's be honest. Pitiful you can just go around going, just let me focus my eyes on the pitiful things in my life. Pity is not the same as even compassion. Pity is a device of the enemy to get you feeling weak and obsessed about your weakness. But there is grace for strength available to you. Choose strong you. 
Now, seriously, some can live in so much weakness that we forget what strong us feels like. Start, start, start to choose. No, hang on. I've got two choices about this day. I can either carry on with this pitiful internal conversation, this blaming conversation, this de-energized conversation, or I can say, just try it. Get up tomorrow morning and go, today I choose energy. I choose God's power. I choose forgiveness. I choose peace as my state of mind. I choose responsibility as my attitude. I choose good manners as my interactions with others. I choose to be a man or woman of God. Just stick with whatever you really are. I choose to be a man or a woman of God. I'm going to walk in God's strength today. Just say it and it begins to transform your life. Let the weak say I'm strong. See, something begins to change in you when you go, no, mind, I command you to submit to me. I command you to be strong. Otherwise, listen to me. Let's give up and go play golf on Sundays. If this isn't real, if this doesn't change our actual lives and make weak people like you and I strong, then we really should do something else. But I'm giving you the practical here of what you do on a Monday morning when you wake up and you're a misery once again. Well, you've got to look in the mirror and tell your face to cheer up. Because the whole world is waiting on our stability. Amen. <laughs> you can choose trusting you or striving you. Either God is genuinely interested and involved in our lives, or again, let's go do something else. The book of Isaiah, I've been studying Isaiah uh, the last few weeks, and if, if you can sum up the book of Isaiah in a single phrase, it's this, trust God and everything goes well. Trust. What, what is trust? Internally leaning my mind on him instead of this, this influx of worry and anxiety and stress and trying to be a self-made, strong, successful, whatever, comparing person. I choose to trust my father in heaven. Isaiah, trust God and it will go well with you. Trust, and it is the context of Isaiah. Trust Egypt, trust Assyria, trust Babylon. You'll be in a mess. God wants to be the thing you lean on. Amen. Isaiah has this phrase, he, God will keep in perfect peace him whose frame of mind is leaning on him. Come on, lean into God. I'm going to trust you. I'm gonna, we heard it from Remy. We went to South Africa, had two months money, didn't have any more, but we're leaning on you. Father takes care of you. We end up in a mess. There's people being killed. There's all sorts of horrendous things going on around, but God... I'm going to lean on you. I realize now that even, I'm, I'm using Remy's kind of words here, but even in my naivety, you were using me, but God, somehow you worked it out. I'm leaning on you, God. You were involved in every aspect of my life. I refuse to shake over the little problems of my life. I'm leaning myself on you. It is a choice. Let's choose to be strong. Now, listen, I know there are caveats. I know there are complex and difficult situations. Let's take mental illness for one, because that's the, that's the instant one. And, and before, people would, would quite often easily go, don't talk about mental illness. You don't know what you're talking about. I've been through depression. And I know that you cannot pull yourself up by your shoestrings in depression. I understand that. But this is how it works. Even in a depressed, mentally anxious state, you will have windows when you can choose strength. They might come once a day. It might come in, in bad times. They might come twice a week, once a week. might be for five minutes or an hour. But every time you have the capacity to choose strength, you keep choosing strength, even in the midst of mental illness. It might be, do you know what? I was strong for 20 minutes one day today. 20 minutes I felt peace. But listen, as you keep choosing strength, the 20 minutes become half an hour. It's my testimony that half an hour becomes an hour. Then it becomes a whole day, a day in your whole week when you felt peace. Then it goes from a week to, from a day to a week and suddenly you're having more good days than bad days because you just keep still. When the window opens and the darkness and the fog lifts, you choose strength and you find he's still there for me. Listen, he's going to pull you out of men, mental illness and anxiety. That's our God. So don't ignore what I'm saying. It, it, just say, well, no, I can't help it. Listen, the gospel works for all of us. And I know it works in a different pace, in a different way. And it, but listen, every moment that you can, choose the light. Choose strength. And you'll find that God is reaching out to you with strength. Amen. Um, oh, boy, just a couple more. Um, choose Choose the correct polarity. 
when, when we are going through a tough time, the danger is that we can sometimes become obsessed about protecting us and our life. And it's like, keep, keep the world off me and I'm just going to try and hunker down and keep me safe. And the polarity of our life becomes about trying to suck everything into me to make me feel better. Uh, actually, when you're mentally ill, you, you can become quite self-obsessed. And all that matters is trying to fix me and what's going on with me. And it, it does end up being me, me, me. Anybody live with anybody going through anxiety? You'll find it. it's me, 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 me. Listen, it's a choice to suddenly go, hang on. I wonder what would happen if I forgot about me for a bit. What if I took a whole day off me and I just gave a bit of care without it getting emotionally heavy? I just started to think of and pray for others and care about others. And, and I turned the polarity around of this mindset and began to give instead of take. You'll suddenly find strength lives in that place. Strength lives when we turn the polarity around and begin to go, let me give. There's something happens in the early days of our Christianity, we receive through receiving, really quite simple. But something happens as we grow mature in God. You'll find there comes a place where church no longer works for you like it did. Because there's something that you can't get out of the worship or out of the preaching. There's a point of maturity comes in our lives when suddenly we only receive by giving. And you're actually, no, I don't need to hear too much more preaching. I need to start talking to others and sharing with others and leading a group and helping someone because actually I've crossed from adolescent to adult. I now start to need to give and turn the polarity of my life around. Another sermon won't save me. Serving will save me. Caring will save me. Being selfless will save me. Thank you, both of you. Serving and worshipping will save you. There's something that happens when we turn it around and go, what if I forgot? God about myself and live for someone else. That's when, you, that's when people make it from adolescent to adult in their church life. A lot of adolescents give up church because they never turn the polarity around when they grow up. And so they're sitting there going, you know what? I don't get much out of this. No, I don't. I get virtually nothing out of church until I give to you guys. And they go, wow, they grew me up today. They helped me when I sat down and helped that person. It did something to me. God, I get more from giving than receiving. And God's in heaven going, yeah, my son taught you that. Yeah. Some of you are miserable because you're not giving enough. <laughs> you're self-obsessed and we need to start giving. And you go, actually, let's stop trying to make me great. What if I just live to help others fulfill their dreams? And you went, wow, suddenly I feel that secret thing called fulfillment. It happens. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Well, I better stop there, hadn't I? Because it's <laughs> ten past. I could go on forever. It's, I, when, when, when Vicky and I were in Singapore and Australia this summer, and we were mixing uh, holiday and work so we were kind of off Monday to Thursday or Friday and then I was ministering the weekends and it was it's quite difficult to swap from holiday mode to, to work mode and especially I want God to do lots I want people to be healed I want there to be prophecy I'm, I'm not content with just getting up and giving a, a good little talk and then sitting down I want God to move that requires a certain level of spiritual intensity which I don't often have when I'm on holiday <laughs> and so as we were going out there going oh God I don't really like mixing holiday and, and ministry quite like this I, I either want to be you know being with you so I can minister well or and then I just I closed my eyes in prayer or it might have been a vision like a, a dream I can't quite remember but I just saw all of these hands just coming and lifting me up you know and I uh, in Psalm 91 it talks about he will he will uh, consign his angels concerning you to lift you up in their hands and God just said to me I'm just going to carry you through this relax you know, whenever I got stressed about ministry coming up or things that I needed to do, I chose to remember the promise of God. No, no, you've said you're going to hold me up. 